welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, my name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new and you don't have one of these bulletins, you'll need one if you want to follow along. So once a month we take the screen down and print things. Um, so you'll want to follow along there. And actually this morning I'd love to begin uh, just with a moment of silence, if we could. Um, obviously uh, somewhat, not somewhat, uh, horribly tragic weekend in terms of world news and brothers and sisters in other places. Uh, so I, I want to just sort of gather our hearts together uh, in solidarity um, for just a moment in silence. And then I'll invite you to read, uh, it's the second Sunday of Lent, if you're not familiar with Lent. Uh, and we've been uh, introduced this confession that we're reading during Lent, and so that is on the front. So a moment of silence, and then I'll invite you to read this together. So let's begin if we can. God, we come this morning with uh, a lot swirling in all of our hearts. And um, even on a morning when we will be studying peace and what it means to be people of peace, uh, we just say out loud, we recognize the dissonance and the tension that exists between um, how it is and how it should be or how it will be. And so for those who suffer and are suffering, um, we want to just say out loud, um, we know that you are with them and we are with you and so we are with them. Um, So together, um, let's read this prayer if you would. God of light, In you is found no shadow of change, but only the fullness of life and limitless truth. Forgive those things we have done which have caused you sadness, and those things we should have done that would have brought you joy. In both we have failed, ourselves and you. Bring us back to that place where our journey began when we said that we would follow the way that you first trod. Restore our sight that we may look upon your Son, who calls us to repentance and a change of heart. For he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Would you stand and let's join our voices together in song. If you have come in uh, since we began Sacred Sunday today and uh, after the teaching, we'll have a a little exercise, a little response, uh, opportunity to respond, and you might need one of these pieces of paper. So there are some in the back. Oh, Jenna will pass them out. If you don't have one and you want one, just go ahead and raise your hand. She'll pass those out for you. I feel like we're, you know, at a a voting something. If you didn't have a ballot, please talk to Jenna. Um, Colossians chapter 3, we are in a series called The Hope of Glory. We are wrapping that up. I think we're in a uh, week, uh, about week 10. And uh, actually after this, we're headed to, uh, I think it's March, I don't even remember. Sometime in March, coming up, we're, gonna do, we're doing a series called Wells and Fences. So some of you have heard of me talk about this idea of Wells and Fences, and it's a series that we've done before. Uh, The first time we ever did that series, it sort of took on a life of its own, and it has become really one of the central metaphors for this church and the life of this church. And so there are many of you who have come to Discover Awaken and Partnership Class and become a part of our church since we've done that series. And so that's coming next, uh, which which I'm very, very excited about. It's sort of an exploration of um, really what is in the center of Christian orthodoxy, but for us as a church, what are we sort of saying is in the center? So that's happening, wells and fences coming up. But for today, Colossians chapter 3. So if you have one, uh, a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to that part, and we will read 
um, starting in verse 15. I've got these cool little copper page guys somebody gave me, and I just lost it. I can't lose that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. If you would, please stand, and we'll read from the text. Paul writes this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me, if you will. God, as we stand in, uh, in respect and in honor and in love of uh, your word, I thank you for the word of God, uh, Jesus the Christ, who uh, was made known to us and uh, is bringing resurrection everywhere. We thank you for the word written and uh, this mysterious book which was inspired and preserved over all of these years in a means by which you continue to reveal yourself to us through. And so we thank you for it. We pray that that would be true today again. Uh, Do it again, God, as if it were new for the first time. And we thank you for your spirit, which is alive and and well, this promise of this counselor, this helper, uh, this spirit of truth, which leads and guides and speaks to the church in the world. And so we pray that that would be true for us gathered here and for your church gathered around the world Um, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, uh, the courage to step out in faith into the things that you've called us to be and do in the world. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said together, amen. You may be seated. So, Colossians, uh, the hope of glory. Paul, the apostle, writes this letter to a small group of people, a little church plant, if you will. Uh, Colossae is in the Roman Empire. It's in modern-day Turkey, north side of the Mediterranean Sea. There's a port city called Ephesus. Follow the river up the valley, and you find Colossae. And Colossae was just like a lot of other cities in the, in the, in the Roman Empire and a lot of other cities that Paul wrote letters to. Um, I find it fascinating that you have these group of people, this small group of people in Colossae and Ephesus and Corinth and Galatia and, and Uh, Philippi, and everybody is working out the implications of resurrection, right? Jesus has died. He has been resurrected from the dead. And if it's true that, in fact, he is the incarnate second person of the Trinity, the Christ made known in flesh, Jesus, if that's true, and his death and resurrection actually happened, then these churches are trying to figure out what does that actually mean? That something new has been done, something definitive has been declared to the cosmos, and that God is about redeeming and restoring and renewing all that God made good and called good in Genesis in and through this person, Jesus the Christ. So Colossae, Ephesus, Corinth, Galatia, Philippi, the Acts in the book of Acts, or the apostles in the book of Acts, they're all working out, like, what does it mean? Which is interesting. Um, sometimes when we think of the Bible and like who these people were, I, I think we think of them, they got like a concerto. And all the notes were written down and they just had to learn the parts and play them. But I think it's a bit more like jazz, these folks. They're sort of improv. They're sort of work, literally, they're working it out as they go. Which is fascinating to think about. The book of Acts, we have this great debate 
about the Gentiles. People who were outside are now inside. They were out, now they're not only eating at our table, but they're leading in our communities, these uncircumcised Gentiles. And in the book of Acts, this, the apostles, right, the people in charge of this whole thing, their reasoning for letting the Gentiles in is as follows. It seemed good to the Spirit and us. <laughs> I just think that's so great. So great. You know, Peter, he, you know, meat sacrificed to idols for a Jew? Not cool, man. Not cool at all. And then he gets this vision from the Lord that the Spirit is doing a new thing and that what was once unclean is now not unclean. And they're just working it out. They're just figuring it out as they go. They are wrestling with the text and this new person of Jesus and the reality of this new person of Jesus. Jesus himself is wrestling with his text. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, He's referencing scripture for a Jew, and he's offering like a new, he's saying, you've heard it said this, but actually I say this. There's something new happening. I don't know if, I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of starting here because I think it's fascinating that we give the freedom to Jesus and the apostles to wrestle with the text, to try to figure out what does it mean to live in light of the resurrection, working out the implications of the resurrection, but then we're like, no, just them, not us. We're going to canonize it, and whatever they've said in their time for them is good for us. Do you ever think about that? Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking like, whoa, Micah, I mean, whoa, that sounds like a little bit of uh, chaos. That sounds like nobody's in control. So don't worry, we're just going to let them do it, and we're just going to apply whatever they've said for 2,000 years ago for us now. No, friends, this is the beauty. This is the wonder. This is what it means to be alive in Christ in 2019. We, t- we look at this book and we say, God, what have you said? And we say, Spirit, what are you saying? Where are you going? How are you leading? How are you guiding? Where are you at work in the world? And if, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, okay, that's the work. That's the work. That's what we're doing. I just wanted to set that up for you as we look at this and we try to wrestle with this is part of what it means to be a person of faith in 2019, a person who follows Jesus. The Bible says it, I believe it, that's enough. That's not good enough. Because we all actually have to interpret the book, right? There are all kinds of things in this book that have been said, which you all aren't following, you're not doing. We're not doing for good reasons. So we're wrestling with it, we're working it out. I just want to frame that because that's the job of the theologian. That's the job of hermeneutics and interpretation. And that's the job of the church. We've been entrusted with this great treasure, this mystery. So, that's why I get so excited about what we do. Maybe you, maybe you sit there on Sundays and you're like, what are you doing and why are you so fired up? My daughter said to me the other day, Dad, why do you yell so much? I, like, I just get so excited about this and I think it really matters. So, That's what we're doing. You guys ready? Okay. Um, Oh yeah, Colossians. So Paul, as he often does, in Colossians, he's preaching Christ and Christ crucified and then resurrected. So what does it mean to live out of that? Last week we talked about Eustace the dragon, this great passage from the Chronicles of Narnia 
where essentially Paul, in chapters 2 and into chapters 3, he's working with this metaphor of an old person, an old man, an old woman, an old self, an old human, uh, the first Adam. And he's saying, we throw that off, we, 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 we disrobe ourselves from that in order to be robed and clothed in this new way of being human in Christ. We're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new way of life. So Eustace the dragon, this boy who's trapped inside of this dragon costume that he cannot get himself free from, and only Aslan is the one who can peel back the layers to expose this, the true boy, the true child that he is. This is the metaphor Paul's using. And now we arrive in chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, where Paul's saying, in light of all of this, because you're alive in Christ, because you've been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, because of that, you're a part of a new body. You're a part of a new group of people in the world who have been called for a purpose. So be about that purpose. And whatever you do, whether it word or deed, do it in the name of Christ. So of the passage we read, I'm really going to just look at verse 15 today. And I want to say that because you might think you never even got to 16 and 17. You're right. I'm not planning to, so just deal with that. And if it bothers you, talk to me later. And I think it's ironic. Not a, uh, it's interesting that we're, the, the focus of what I wanted to do this morning was let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since you are members of one body, you are called to peace. In light of the world that we live in, in 49 people who aren't with us anymore, and all of the crazy number of things that we experience, what does it mean to be people of peace in 2019? What does it mean for you to be a person of peace. So that's where we're headed this morning. Um, I was in fifth and sixth grade at St. Anthony Park Elementary School, and there was a young boy who was a bit of a man-child. Do you know what I speak of? Like developed a little earlier than most? You know what I mean? Like this kid was a giant in sixth grade, where some people developed a little later. Uh, this guy was like, he was early, early to the punch. Um, we'll call him Leon for the sake of anonymity. Leon was like the uh, recess in grade school. St. Anthony Park had this beautiful playground. It sort of all came to a funnel, and in the springtime, this time of year, there was always a giant lake in the middle of the playground, which actually I got thrown into one year by my friends. It was one of the most traumatic experiences I've ever had in my life. I've talked a lot about that with my therapist. I think Leon actually may have been involved in that caper, but be that as it may, Leon was an absolute tyrant. Like, you did not go outside at recess without looking over your shoulder at all times to know where the proximity, the, like, location of Leon. He was a terror. He would chase kids, he would beat kids up, and nothing happened out on the playground. Do you remember, like, King of the Hill? King of the Mountain, you know, like where one kid was up there and it was this like test of strength and wit and strategy and like you're the king of the mountain, you'd rule the whole thing. Honest to goodness, this was Leon in sixth grade. This is the kid who in eighth grade picked up a desk and threw it at Mr. Zervis in social studies. Insane. He ruled over the playground at St. Anthony Park. As I was preparing for this teaching this morning, I was like, what does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? And this is the only example I could think of. The exact opposite. Where anxiety and anxiousness and nervousness and uncertainty and fear is always near. Where you don't know if you're going to make it. The opposite of let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Leon, 
St. Anthony Park Elementary School, ruling over the playground like a tyrant terrorist. It's awful. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you're called to peace. I want to look at four words that Paul uses. I want to unpack them and see if it doesn't have anything for us. So that's where we're going. The first word is erene. It's uh, Greek for peace. If you had a screen, it would be on the, behind me, but E-I-R-E-N-E, erene. Uh, there are a couple of different ways that the Greeks would talk about peace and use this word. The first of which is like national tranquility, a state of national peace, the absence of war. Growing up in a a family of five boys, this didn't happen very often. Always war, always warring factions, always warring tribes, right? This is the opposite of that, where there is peace in the land, a state of national tranquility. So think social and political. Uh, it speaks to that. This is the, the, the vision that the prophet Isaiah has in chapter 2 when he says, we will take the weapons of destruction and terror and death, swords, and we will beat them into plowshares with the coming of the kingdom of God. Where what was once meant for death will then be used to give life and economy and flourishing for all. This is the vision he speaks of, a social, political peace. It also has to do with like individual interrelationships. So between you and I, that we as neighbors are at peace with one another. And then there's this other piece, uh, this other part of peace, uh, where the, the definition says, of Christianity, the tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing and content with its lot. Now, while I think that that's true, and I think that that's important, and I think that that's a valid understanding of peace, I want to actually interject into this part the Hebrew understanding of peace, because I think it's bigger than that. The Hebrew uh, word for peace is shalom. We've talked about this. Paul starts nearly every letter with grace and peace, shalom. And so Paul was a Jew. He understood, uh, he was trained as a, a Hebrew and a Jew in all the greatest schools and under the rabbis. And so for him, when he says peace, what is he talking about? It has to include a Judaic understanding of peace, which is bigger than just my soul. It's cosmos. It's, he talks about this in Romans, that all of creation is groaning, and God answers in Christ. So peace is a universal flourishing wholeness and delight. Think about that. For the whole cosmos, flourishing, wholeness, delight, what we were made for is true and real. It is our experience One of my friends writes it this way, a justice-infused peace, wholeness, flourishing, thriving, well-being for all people, all relationships, and all systems. Is anybody participating in broken systems? What would it look like for the peace of God to be a part, to start uh, invading those spaces? That's what he's getting at. Let the peace of Christ. So Paul uses this word peace. He says, let the peace of Christ, what is that? The peace that only Christ can bring. The peace that, that happens when you're in right relationship with God, with yourself, with others, and the world around you. Let that rule what's possible because of the work of Christ and what has happened. Let that peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that you can speak of and say out loud when you're in the midst of of trouble and trial, like it is well with my soul. Let that peace rule in your hearts. And then he also talks about it in terms of let that peace rule in your hearts, but then as a people, let it be that which motivates you. Let it be the work that you do. That's the work of your hands. That's the energies you put into the world. It's an energy towards being people of peace. Since you were called to one body, be people of peace. So church, gathered at Awaken in St. Paul. How we doing? 
in the world as people of peace. Better every day. I hope so, Rich. I pray that that would be true. How are we doing? How are you? I get it. This is a giant question. And I'm like one person. I've got two pairs of shoes. I can put them on every day. Two, two shoes, one pair. <laughs> I'm just a normal guy. And you're just a normal person. You're a mom. You're a dad. You're a business owner. You're a teacher. You're a student, right? Like, what, what can I do to impact world peace? This is not the Miss America pageant. But if we take Paul seriously, and if we take Christ seriously, then I think we have to, we're not off the hook to consider and wonder and, and grapple with, what is my part in allowing the peace of Christ to rule in my heart and for us to be a group of people who are doing the work of peace? Jesus himself, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So how are we doing? The second word he, he uses that I want to sort of unpack is this word rule. It's brabeo in Greek, and it means to be an umpire. <laughs> Think like Little League Baseball. Uh, to decide, to determine, to direct, c- to control, to rule. To be the umpire. This was, the, this was Leon on the playground. Like he, he, was the, he was the umpire. He was the ref. He called the shots. So Paul says, let the peace of Christ, the peace that only comes from in right relationship with God, let that peace rule. Let it be the umpire in the game. Let it be the one who calls the strike the strike and the ball the ball. In, in play, out of play. Let peace be the determiner. Sorry for the sports analogies, uh, for those that don't like sports, but there was a great football game this past fall, the Saints and the Rams in the playoffs, if you remember this one. And right at the end of the game, there was a play where... The Saints guy throws the ball, and uh, there's a rule in football called pass interference. You can't, like, touch the receiver until the ball comes. Like, you can't contact them. Uh, and it was a clear violation of the rule. In, in you know, replay, is like, and it's a game changer. If they call that the right way, the Saints win the game. But they don't, because the umpire, the ref, saw it differently and determined the course and the outcome of the game. Let peace that. Let peace do that for you and for me as the people of God. That's what he's saying. Let it rule in your hearts. Third word I want to talk about, heart. Cardia. It's where we get cardiology. For us, in our day and in our age, we often separate mind and heart very easily, where we talk about reason, rationale, science, you know, this is where I think. And then there's my heart, there's my emotions. And these two things, nary the two shall meet often, especially, well, no, I won't say that. Nary the two shall meet, you know, mind and heart, my reason and my emotion. That is anachronistic. And by that, I mean you, our understanding of mind and heart, we can't import back into what Paul is saying because the ancients didn't do that. They would have never, never separated mind and heart. So for, in Greek, it's the soul or mind as it, as it is the fountain or seat of our thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections. Literally, when Paul says heart, you should just say mind heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your mind heart. What's he saying? Like the very essence of who you are. The seat of your being. Your passions, your desires, your affections, any, all of it. Let peace rule there. Maybe if you will, 
indulge me for just a moment. I'd love for you to imagine something. So if you can close your eyes and imagine you as a self, as a person, and try to see, try to picture what would be like the source, the fountain, the very bedrock, uh, the essence of you and who you are. See if you can picture that. Maybe it's going down, 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 layers upon layers until you get to the bottom. Maybe it's the, like a spring of water bubbling up. Like that's, that's the, the, the source of who you are. Now, right below that, imagine the peace of Christ upon which your life sits and is, is a trust that the divine has made itself known in Christ and something has happened that says death does not win, evil and hate will get called into account and justice will come. We will take our swords and beat them into plowshares. There is a trust in that kind of peace that only comes from resting in that place. Paul says, let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, the very soul, the very essence, the very life spring of you. You can open your eyes if you want to. You can keep them closed too, either way. I'm wondering what would change if we lived with that reality, like really close, day, every day. Like if we woke up and each day we determined and decided that my life, the very source, the essence of it, the foundation of it is resting on the divine has made itself known and I need not fear. I am not anxious. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your sting? Like how we would show up differently in the world if that was true. Is that part of discipleship? Is that part of what it means to follow this Jesus, to learn to live from that place? And Paul says, since you were called as, or since you are members of one body, soma is the Greek. It means it's used of a large number of humans or a small number of humans that are closely united in society or family or social, ethical, or a mystical body as in the New Testament church. So what's Paul saying? Okay, here we go. Since you have been called, since you have said yes, since you have fallen into grace, since you have trusted grace, since you've been born anew, baptized, raised to walk in newness of life, since you have allowed the peace of Christ to rest and rule in your hearts, you are part of one body of people in the world, one group of people whose task is singular and solo, and it is to be people of peace, to work for, to be working for and endeavoring for a justice-infused peace and shalom in the world that we find ourselves in. So, as a plumber, how you do that? As a dentist, I can imagine how that might happen. A little more of that gas, you know, just a little more of that gas. A little more. But honestly, how do you do that in your work? As a student, as a mom, how do you parent your kids differently if that's the place from which you operate and the, the thing that you are endeavoring to do to be people of peace. And of course, Paul, in Paul's context, is he's not speaking to a topic that these people don't know. You all remember. We're in Rome, right? Uh, just so you know, the top of that stained glass, which you only get to see on Sacred Sunday, you're welcome, says pox. That's Latin for peace. 
The Pax Romana is totally normal in Paul's day and age. If you walk down the streets of Colossae and you were to say, where's the, where's the peace come from? Everyone would say, Rome, the Pax Romana. If you bow a knee to Caesar, and Caesar is Lord, and you trust the empire and the government and the politics of the government, then peace will come to you. So long as you're on the right side of that coin, peace will be yours. This is the absolute bombshell of the Christmas story, that peace doesn't come through empire and power and domination, but it actually comes through vulnerability and a child and self-sacrificial love. So Paul is not saying something to people they've never heard. He's actually saying, you have heard it said this, but I say to you this. Peace doesn't come from empire. Peace doesn't come from the government. Actually, the government will be on someone else's shoulders, and it will be a kingdom that will not end. So what peace are we striving for? How are we working for it? There's a certain way in which people of Jesus do that, where we don't trust in power over and domination, but we do something very differently. We give up our lives even for our enemies. I'm going to close this morning, and I'm actually going to invite my friend Melody to help us do that. The invitation Paul speaks of is to fall into these arms that I'm speaking of. To say yes to, to rest in, to receive the peace that has already been assured, that has already been determined, that is already yours. The prodigal son, everything I had was always yours. This morning I would say to you, the same is true. If we were to describe your life, if you were to write it down on a sheet of paper that you have in front of you, oh, actually you do, so you might want to get that out. What kinds of words would you use to describe? Like the state of your soul. Is it at rest? Is it peace? Is it, or is it stress? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it looking over your shoulder all the time? And we talk about ideas, but, and we may even affirm them as true, yes, to know Jesus, to be in relationship with the divine brings peace, and yet I do not feel peaceful. So we might affirm something as true, but we don't experience it as real. Why? I want to see if we can walk this out a little bit this morning as we close. So as we were talking about today, Mel shared a story with me, and I was like, there it is. There's the, that's how we end. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to just leave a moment of silence, and then Mel is going to lead us in an exercise. So pray with me, if you will. God, as we, as we circle around this idea of peace and what it means to, be, to rest in the peace that you bring, which is not power over, and it's not domination, and it's not coercion, but it's love, and it's choice, and it's free, and it's gift, as we think about what it means to be people who rest in that, who trust that, who live with that as the foundation, and who work for flourishing and wholeness and delight for all of the cosmos. Would you speak, Holy Spirit, lead us, show us, open our eyes, open our ears, so that we might hear and see you for who you truly are. Well, thanks everybody for joining into that uh, moment. It's funny that we're talking about peace and I'm about to share this story because sharing the story makes me super nervous. <laughs> so um, 
Uh, just to give a little context before I uh, kind of tell a story about a specific moment in my life, the, the background is that um, the family that I grew up in and the context of, that, of my experience as a kid and, and, and growing up into my adulthood was um, there's a lot of emotional chaos um, and uh, unhealth and mental unhealth, both of my, my, both of my parents really struggled, and um, subsequently so did I, especially in my late 20s, early 30s, um, stuff got real dark and, and real tense. I remember thinking uh, several times people would ask me, um, would say, just relax, <laughs> or... Uh, just try to try to think peaceful thoughts and I was like I have no idea how to do that I've completely forgotten what peace feels like I am wound up so tight and I was wound up so tight that I didn't sleep for didn't sleep well for about eight months and um and then I knew that I needed to do something I needed to figure out what is going on and how can I how can I live this reality that I hear about in the scripture? It's just not ringing true for me. I'm not peaceful. I'm not restful. Um, I'm afraid. I'm depressed. All of it just felt, I felt so in conflict with what a Christian life should look like. And so um, I just really knew that I needed to, um, to face this head on in both a mental, emotional, um, physical, and spiritual way. And so I really did that. I started going to a lot of therapy and uh, digging into my grief and my pain. And, um, but uh, all the time, just had a lot of anxiety. And one day, it just really got bad. I was sitting in, at work. I was sitting at my desk. And, um, and all the things that I was worrying about, that I was anxious about, just kind of compounded one on the other, on the other, on the other, until I was absolutely panic-stricken. Um, breathing was really hard. <laughs> Tears were just kind of streaming down my face, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of work. I don't even know these people, <laughs> and I'm crying. And I thought, I need to make a therapy appointment. <laughs> so I grabbed my phone, I called my therapist, made an appointment, set my phone down. Um, and then I thought, well, that's not going to help me right now. What do I do right now? And I just a few months earlier had read, the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard about imaginative prayer, and he gave really, he gives really specific instructions of how to enter into that, which today I'm so thankful for that I remembered that in that moment, but he says, physically posture yourself, uh, place both feet on the ground, hands on your knees, try to sit up straight and tall, just breathe, and um, so I did that, and as I did that, the the verse, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on me because I care for you, came to my mind. And I was like, oh, I need to Google that verse. I couldn't remember it was found, and I wanted to know, so I Googled it. And it actually said, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And that was like, whoosh. Not just the things that I care about, but the things that I'm anxious about. Like, you, you want me to cast those things on you? And so um, I did that in that moment. I just started naming all of the things that I was anxious about. And I didn't do it out loud. I just did it in my mind. And it was literally the 
probably the clearest vision that I've ever received in prayer was in that moment, and I saw so vividly, um, and I still go back to this picture um, all the time when I'm feeling anxious, um, a Jesus washing my feet. I think so many times when we get into an anxious place or a depressed place or something like that, we can kind of spiral into this shame thing of like, I'm not supposed to be like this. But really, what Jesus' response is, is washing our feet. And I, it was just so beautiful. And then I sat there, and the next vision that I saw was Jesus in the garden. And I saw myself just placing all of those anxieties on his shoulders. And then that verse, uh, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you, took on new meaning. In that moment, I thought, oh, you cared for me. You were anxious for me so that I don't have to. And wow, that just freed my mind and my heart to start breathing again. And literally, slowly, I just began to breathe, began to breathe. And I thought, maybe I just, maybe I'm fine. <laughs> I'll just cancel that therapy appointment. But then I kept it because, you know, you should probably be consistent with that stuff. So my invitation for you from that story this morning while we sing this next hymn together um, is that if you're in a place where you're kind of compounded anxiety-wise like I was, or even if you're not, if there's just a few things kind of weighing on your mind, uh, that sheet of paper in your bulletin um, is there for you to name those things this morning if you feel so led. Um, and we're going to sing a song and then another song. So in the second song this morning, if you want to tangibly cast those things away from you, this uh, jar is up at the front. Um, if you feel comfortable making your way to the front to tangibly cast that, we encourage you to do that. Or you can do it after the service if you're kind of like in the middle of the roll, row and don't see a good way out. Um, after oh, we're done this morning, I would just encourage you. To, it helps to take um, physical steps sometimes to enter into something on a spiritual level. So we're going to sing Be Still My Soul. And um, But during that time, my, my hope, my prayer for you is that you will, if you're in an anxious place, if you have anxiety, if you have any sort of thing that you just can't seem to get out of in your brain and in your heart, um, that you will see that someone has already been anxious on your behalf. And I'm going to read a portion of a prayer from St. Patrick, uh, who was a very, very amazing uh, story and person. Uh, this is a part of a larger prayer, but maybe something that you've heard, uh, and then a blessing for you as you go. So Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, and Christ in me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise, Christ in the heart of every person who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every person who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said together. Amen. Grace and peace to you, my friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com 
backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.